You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Heat, which came out in 1995 and was directed by Michael Mann. It stars Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, Diane Venora, Tom Sizemore, John Voight, Amy Brenneman, Ashley Judd, <laughs> woo, Michael T. Williamson, Wes Studi, Ted Levine, Dennis Haysbert, Danny Trejo, William Fickner, keep going, Kevin Gage, Tom Noonan, Hank Azaria, Kim Staunton, and Natalie Portman. Big cast. The genre would be crime epic. From the Godfather to Scent of a Woman. What do we got? From Raging Bull to Goodfellas. Soon they got our phones, soon they got our houses, soon they got us. Their performances have created a legacy of landmark films. I want full surveillance. That's 24 hours, round the clock, we never close open seven days a week. Now, for the first time, America's two most electrifying actors collide. This guy, there's more cheap you should pass. The bank is worth the risk. It ain't worth the risks you take. Like in risk versus reward, baby. You're a fugitive number one with a bullet. I'm double the worst trouble you ever had. Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer in a Michael Mann film. Heat. I was a heat head or hothead before it became cool. I was a college sophomore on winter break, working at a multiplex in December of 1995 when this movie first came out. And I thought it was a masterpiece from the first time I saw it. And like all pretentious college nerds, I was not shy about it. Uh, miss, you want to see Jumanji? You know, Heat is a lot better, actually. No, it's not that violent. You say your daughter is six years old? Yeah, she'll really enjoy it. Was sometimes overheard when yours truly would be working at the box office. For several months after the release of this film, I was obsessed with finding that specific version of Moby's God moving over the face of the waters heard over the end credits of this movie. His album version didn't have that crescendo, which made this version so cool, it was to no avail. Thirteen years later, I was one of those smartasses who, when the Dark Knight was blowing up all over, would always have that snarky retort, Yeah, I like the Dark Knight. I liked it even better when it was called Heat. Aha, ha, ooh, he, ha, ha, and I thought my jokes were bad. Speaking of which, folks like myself, among the cult of heat, just love to point out which other films have been influenced by it. And we're generally also suckers for these films too, as we have seen a steady stream of them over the past 20 years. So many heat homages. Of course, there's The Dark Knight, Comic Book Heat, The Town, Boston Heat. Hey, Next time you guys want to take pictures of me, just call ahead. You know, we can do better than a barbecue. Public Enemies, Michael Mann's own Prohibition-era heat, previous episode Law-Abiding Citizen, that would be the batshit Philly heat, The Prestige, Victorian-era Magician heat, American Gangster, Vietnam-era Harlem heat, and most recently, Den of Thieves, which featured Gerard Butler in the Pacino role. I like to call that one Diet Heat. Do you know what this means? means I am a member of a clique. It's kind of like being in a gang. 
So like a gang, only we have badges, which means you are done. What all these films share is a basic core premise, an often stone-faced ex-con criminal mastermind leading a tight crew planning one last heist and or large-scale crime pursued by a burnt-out, often alcoholic, obsessed career detective trying to take him down with his own crew. Well, he's a heart attack, man. Three marriages, what the fuck do you think that means? He likes staying home? He's the man is one of those guys out there, prowling around all night dedicated. In the case of Heat, we have Al Pacino playing Lieutenant Vincent Hanna on the trail of Neil McCauley, played by Robert De Niro. We are talking two of the greatest actors of the past half century facing off against each other for the first time on the big screen. Yes, they were both in Godfather Part Two, but they never shared scenes in that movie. You would think that just these two alone are what make this movie such a big deal. That this whole shebang was just an elaborate chess game between these two characters, which a lot of it is. But it's much more than that. The film itself is a gloriously self-conscious epic tale of self-obsessed master tacticians on both sides of the law and the women who love them. Here's the deal. You will give Chris one last shot. After that, he fucks up, then I will finance setting you up myself. On my own, any way you want. Dominic will go with you. And my word counts. But right now, you will give him the chance. Clean up, go home. Clean up, go home. It's certainly not lost on anyone that Diane Venora as Justine, playing Pacino's third wife, gets the most complicated dialogue. You don't live with me. You live among the remains of dead people. You read the terrain. You search for signs of passing, for the scent of your prey, and then you hunt them down. That's the only thing you're committed to. The rest is the mess you leave as you pass through. She's the heart of the movie, the voice of reason. And it's kind of a thankless role when pitted against Pacino being all bombastic and De Niro being tough guy cool. But you still need her character, and Venora plays it very smart. She's overwritten in parts, but that's the point. I don't think Michael Mann is going for subtlety with these characters. And from a casting standpoint, he landed a group of thoroughbreds, who each nail their roles out of the gate. The two leads dominate the screen, as they should. But this film simply does not work without all of the other players making the most of their limited screen time. The eminently quotable Tom Sizemore. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. Danny Trejo, Bill Thickner, Ashley Judd, Henry Rollins, Tone Loke. Hey, he's a lot better in this than he was in Ace Ventura around the same time. Tom Noonan. How do you get this information? It just comes to you. This stuff just flies through the air. They send this information out. I mean, it's just beamed out all over the fucking place. You don't have to just know how to grab it. Hank Azaria. And of course, Kevin Gage as the unforgettable Wayne Grow, the sociopath who really sets the whole plot in motion. Look, I had to get it on, man. He was making a move. Had to get it on. You could really devote entire spin-off movies to several of these characters, which would likely be pretty interesting. And now that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Heat has a soundtrack filled with almost all instrumental tracks. To quote the New York Times, because I really can't say it any better myself, the soundtrack was, quote, an artfully assembled montage of industrial rock, darkly romantic symphonics, and moody jazz guitar. You see, Elliot Goldenthal composed an intense, moody score for this film, which has its share of highlights. But 
He also has a lot of collaborators. And nothing against his craft, but for me, many of the highlights came from his collaborators, though you would be forgiven for not being able to tell their tracks apart from his score. I'll narrow the best ones down to my top three needle drops for Heat. Number three. This one comes about a third of the way into the movie when we see De Niro's Macaulay sitting proudly during a big dinner night out with his fellow crew of thieves and their wives and children at a big fancy restaurant. Because that's what master criminals do, right? Well, never mind. It's still cool to see them out. But Macaulay is also the only one there alone. And it dawns on Neil that maybe it's time for him to find that special someone whom he can share moments like these with. And as it turns out, he just recently met a lovely but mousy graphic designer slash bookstore clerk named Edie, played by Amy Brenneman in a nice subtle performance. As the dinner's winding down, we start to hear this hopeful, guitar-driven music kick in. And Neil decides to excuse himself to give Edie a call. He arranges for their next date, and he tells her that he can't wait to see her. In a film loaded with tough guy talk and or threats of violence, it's likely the sweetest moment and the rare one when we see Macaulay let his guard down, if for just a few minutes. The wistful music that we are hearing over this whole sequence comes from Canadian guitarist, music producer, and inventor Michael Brook, and the song is called Ultramarine. Number two, England's own Brian Eno is probably one of the most influential figures in the history of ambient music, even within the world of pop music. He has always fancied himself a, quote, non-musician, even though he excelled at both guitar and keyboard. Brian Eno originally helped form the glam rock group Roxy Music in the 70s before going on to produce many of my favorite songs from the likes of Talking Heads, U2. He has always specialized in percussion-heavy atmospheric music, and of course, his contribution to the Heat soundtrack certainly falls within that category. The track is called Force Marker, and it is a very tense piece of music playing over a very tense sequence in the movie right around the 100-minute mark in the lead-up to the Big Bank heist, which is the pivot point of the movie. And number one. Yep, I mentioned this one earlier. It's Moby's God moving over the face of the waters. And it remains one of the best closing needle drops I have witnessed firsthand in a theater. I mean, watching this, hearing this. It's a bittersweet conclusion to a sprawling epic closing on one image. One man standing in a relatively open field at night and with planes flying overhead. He's holding the hand of another man on the ground who just died and whom he killed, actually. It's the kind of transcendent moment which only the best filmmakers can aspire to. Michael Mann earned this ending, and he did so partially by selecting a perfect piece of music by Richard Melville Hall, otherwise known as Moby. This composition starts out simply with just some straightforward piano notes and builds with orchestration. And as the screen turns black, the song hits a crescendo as we see the title in glowing white letters, a Michael Mann film. Mann himself has yet to win an Oscar, disappointingly, and no doubt he deserves several, But how could any live moment at the Kodak Theater 
top this one. And now the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now you can make a case. You can make a case that Heat has an excess of interesting characters played well by top flight actors. Though considering just how tight this film is, I would be hard pressed to say that any of them are quote wasted. So along those lines, and yes, I'm taking some inspiration from Bill Simmons' Rewatchables podcast here. If Heat were to be remade as a 10-episode streaming show, these might be a couple of characters who I would like to see an entire episode devoted to. Dennis Haysbert. He makes the most of limited screen time playing Donald, the recent ex-con now working at a Greasy Spoon restaurant and struggling. Can you just handle it till we find you something new? Can you do that? In a hard time in a minute that I cannot handle. What you hanging with me for, Lily? Because I'm proud of you. <laughs> you proud of me? Mm-hmm. What the hell you proud of me for? Come on home. We only check in with his character a few times, and it's hard not to be moved by his character's story. So why not devote one episode to his days at Folsom when he was friends or maybe even partners with Macaulay? Another one, a Wayne Grow episode exploring his creepy journey through L.A.'s crime underworld. Done. And one of my favorite character actors, Wes Studi, plays Detective Casals, who's part of Hannah's crew. And possibly its secret weapon. Casals doesn't get much dialogue, but you can tell that he's the only other member of this crew who might be as obsessed as Hannah is. And we know he's the best shot. During the post-heist shootout, it's Casals who both nabs the tires of the getaway car with his shotgun and also Kilmer's Chris, almost killing him. This is a man of action. He deserves to lead at least one case. Who knows? Maybe while Hannah is on leave for drug rehab. Neil is gone. Bam! Flying like a bird. Come on, Vincent, how do you know? We still got bait. Maybe some time. Got, got. What do we got? What do we got? Bon voyage, motherfucker. You were good. And now the next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Wow. <laughs> there are two particular scenes which are always mentioned amidst discussion of heat. One, of course, is the trailblazing post-bank heist shootout between Macaulay's crew and the police in downtown L.A., led by Hannah. They used actual gunshots, actual gunfire, at their natural high decibel sound levels during the filming of this sequence. You could actually hear the reverberations dozens of blocks away when they were filming it. 
It's a truly spectacular action sequence, and pretty much all of the action is driven by character, no less. We witness the hypocrisy of Sizemore's Chirito, who up until this point has been betrayed as a doting father of some cute little kids. We see him fleeing the scene with enough desperation that he feels the need to grab a young little girl for cover. Yeah. And we see how sheer ego takes over Vincent Hanna as he pushes forward in his pursuit, barely batting an eye at his longtime partner Bosco taking a shot in the neck and falling on the ground bleeding profusely. Bosco was played by the always engaging Ted Levine, and his character's death is among at least two which are still rough to watch during this shootout. Get down. You just feel every shot, it's that good. The second oft-mentioned one is, of course, the late-night coffee sit-down between Macaulay and Hannah. Pacino and De Niro face-to-face for the first time on screen. It was teased in the trailers, and sure enough, I could definitely recall the anticipation of dozens of folks within my opening day audience at the theater just shifting forward into their seats as soon as Pacino pulls De Niro over and walks over to his window with one simple request. How you doing? What do you say I buy you a cup of coffee? Yeah, sure, let's go. Follow me. And the simple, elegant exchange which follows between our protagonist and antagonist, depends on how you look at them, of course. This has often been imitated, but never equaled. So you never wanted a regular type life, right? The fuck is that, barbecues and ball games? Yeah. This regular type life, that your life? My life? No, my life. No, my life's a disaster zone. I got a stepdaughter so fucked up because her real father's this large type asshole. I got a wife. We're passing each other on the downslope of a marriage, my third. Because I spend all my time chasing guys like you around the block. That's my life. And yet, neither of these scenes are my particular favorite in Heat, as great as they are. Nope, that would actually be an earlier sequence when Hannah's crew are drawn to investigate a large open area surrounded by storage containers that through surveillance they saw Macaulay's crew casing just earlier that day. So we see our crew of cops ambling around in frustration, trying to figure out what is just so important about this particular spot. And then it dawns on Hannah as to why they were drawn to this place. What he says is priceless. The shot up to De Niro way above them shooting photos of the cops on his trail, that's priceless too. And the punchline of the scene ends up being one simple profane expression from Pacino. You know what they're looking at? What? Us. The LAPD, the police department. You just got me. Okay. Okay, motherfucker! What's so great about this scene is not only how funny it is, but just how perfectly it demystifies each side of this burgeoning conflict. At the end of the day, Hannah and Macaulay 
are still just little boys playing cops and robbers. And until folks start getting really hurt, it's all pretty innocent. Which brings us to our final category, the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Pacino just devours the screen in the best way. His Vincent is a showboat with a purpose, and if nothing else, his histrionics help keep this film humming. I'm very angry, Ralph. You know, you can ball my wife if she wants you to. You can lounge around here on her sofa in her ex-husband's dead tech post-modernistic bullshit house if you want to. But you do not get to watch my fucking television set. And amidst all of his character's bluster, we still see his humanity seeping through, especially in those later scenes alongside Portman as his stepdaughter. Whereas De Niro gives what I think is one of his best performances, even though it's much quieter. His Macaulay is tightly wound, efficient, and just a force when he needs to be. Remember Jimmy McElwain on a yard used to say, you want to be making moves on the street, have no attachments, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. And yet, especially in his latter scenes with Brenneman, gee, are we seeing kind of a pattern here? We see more and more how underneath... His character is starting to collapse under the weight of his life. It's hard not to feel for this character towards the end, even though it has become clear that only he could have brought himself to this particular ending. But really, when it comes to selecting the true MVP of Heat, there is only one man for the job. Michael Mann. In the 20 years leading up to this film's release, he clearly had a vision for this story that he was developing over time and tapping into through various projects. Doing research for his first TV movie, The Jericho Mile, Mann got to know many convicts at Folsom Prison and would eventually end up hiring at least one of them, Eddie Bunker, as a consultant for future films, including previous episode Thief. Check that out. Doing research over time, Michael Mann also became friends with Chuck Adamson, the Chicago police detective who would be the inspiration for Pacino's Vincent Hanna. And eventually, in the first half of the 90s, in the wake of the success of The Last of the Mohicans, Michael Mann just pulled everything together to bring his dream project to life. And no doubt, he had some fantastic collaborators on this one, including legendary DP Dante Spinotti, who has worked on most of Mann's other films, and a team of four, count them, four editors, to help piece together this gargantuan movie. Pasquale Buba, William Goldenberg, Dove Honig, and Tom Rolfe. The fruits of everyone's labor was clearly up there on the screen. But Michael Mann was clearly the ringmaster who pulled this whole circus together, armed with more personal knowledge of both sides of the law than any filmmaker should really have. Fair or not, everything Mann has directed before or since now falls under this film's shadow. He has directed several great films, but for delivering what is likely his masterpiece, Michael Mann is the MVP. For me, it never really was a genre, exercise in genre. It was always... There's these people. They're dimensional, from my own experience with, with um, you know, with convicts, with with professional thieves. So it was the the appeal of really digging into the dimensional life of all the characters, um, and and their outcomes that was uh, that fascinated me. My rating for Heat would be five stars out of five. <laughs> If there was a Mount Rushmore of crime dramas, I would easily place Heat among that group, right alongside The Godfather, Goodfellas, 
and City of God. And if you're looking to enjoy the majesty of Heat, it is currently streaming on AMC and DirecTV. And that ends another large type review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.